It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Happy 4th of July to everybody listening, watching, whoever you listen to us. We're glad to have you a part of this, whether you're at the cookout, whether you're on the lake, whether you're just spending time with friends and family. We're very glad you made us a part of your 4th of July. Welcome into the Hard Count. We talk college football every single day. And we are on the YouTube channel, typically live at this point in time, Tuesdays, Thursdays, 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central. We are always in your podcast feed at those days, right around noon, Central, 1 Eastern. You get the gist. We're only talking ball here. We're doing it year-round. We're very glad to have you a part of this. A lot of people were murmuring and rumbling that there wouldn't be a show today. They would be very, very wrong. A lot to unpack here. We got some misconceptions across the college football landscape that I think we need to address before we jump into the 2023 season. A lot of talk about Ryan Day, a lot of talk about LSU, what they're going to be, what they're not going to be. Got to get straight on those. I know y'all are probably already in the know with those because I think our audience is the smartest across the college football digital media space and college football space, period. But we got to talk about that. Just kind of get all aligned on that. All right. Also, we took to the Twitter sphere as we typically do. Make sure you're following me at JD Pakel. And I've asked y'all, and this is the, the third installment of the great unknowns in college football. And so we're going to go through some of y'all's great unknowns. We'll unpack them and give you our thoughts on them. And then we're also going to talk about some firework players. It's 4th of July. You're probably going to have some fireworks tonight up in the sky, and and maybe you're uh, going to celebrate patriotically tonight. So let's break down some of the players across college football that are prone to produce fireworks on the field whenever they line it up. Excited to break that one down as well. And then schedule prediction season keeps on rolling. It shows no mercy Walking into the batter's box today is the Miami Hurricanes. What are they going to be from a win-loss total standpoint in 2023? We'll give you our thoughts. Again, make sure you're subscribed right here to the On3 YouTube channel. Make sure you're locked in on podcast. However you listen, however you watch, we're glad to have you here. Thank you to everyone who has made today possible, who everyone is, is serving across the world, keeping freedom free. We're very, very grateful for y'all and appreciate all y'all that are tuned in internationally and are a part of this college football community. Okay, so thank you very much for that to all the men, the men and women that serve in the armed forces. All right, let's jump right into it. College football misconceptions. What are the ones that we need to address before we jump into the 2023 season? I said this to start the show, but I want to say it again. Y'all are probably already in tune with these. We have a very, very intelligent audience here at the Hard Count. So to, to kind of get lined up on these, what are the misconceptions that could be floating out there that we need to make sure we stay away from? And the first one, I think, is probably the loudest, and that is that Ryan Day is somehow on the hot seat. Two things can be true here. One, it's not okay to lose to Michigan if you're the head coach at Ohio State. Never okay, never acceptable. He came on this very show, told us the exact same thing. The standard is the standard. Beat your rival. He did not say Michigan. He said your rival, which implies Michigan, but credit to Coach Day for not even saying the word Michigan as the Ohio State head coach. Win the Big Ten, win the Natty. That's the standard. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. So no, never okay to lose to Michigan. The other thing, though, that 
could be true, and I believe that is true. Ryan Day is one of the best head coaches in college football. Has a record of 45-6. and six. And some people are murmuring, well, if Ohio State doesn't win a national title or if they lose to Michigan again, well, maybe his, his seat heats up a little bit. Maybe Ohio State looks somewhere else. No, 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 no. If you were to look somewhere else outside of Ryan Day, where would you look? Where would you look? Short of Urban Meyer, who is someone that is accessible for Ohio State to hire and make their head coach? Ryan Day's recruiting at a high level. Ohio State has an extremely talented roster. Just because they haven't got it done doesn't mean he still isn't a phenomenal head football coach. Doesn't mean he's not still the right guy at Ohio State. They were a field goal kick away from sending Georgia home. We all saw what Georgia did to the national title game. Like, Ohio State is in good position. It's never okay to lose to Michigan, but Ryan Day's seat in no way, shape, or form should be hot. I also want to make sure we get this in there. A lot of people are saying things about Kirby, excuse me. A lot of things are, a lot of people are saying things about Ryan Day and his ability to get over the hump and win a national title. They were saying the same thing about Kirby Smart at virtually the same point in his career as a head coach at Georgia. Because remember, he lost to Alabama and they, they weren't able to, to get over the hump and win a national title. And they were saying things about how he could develop a quarterback. And now Kirby Smart, two national title rings later, is on the hunt for his third in a row. I'm not saying this is the same, the same story with Ryan Day, but I just want to make sure we're all on the same page here. Just because he hasn't done it yet does not mean that Ryan Day is still not capable of winning the national title. doesn't mean he's still not the guy you want and potentially could even need at Ohio State for the future. So Ryan Day, absolutely not on the hot seat at Ohio State. Should not be a conversation we're having right now. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're locked in. Follow me on the socials at Jody Paquel, Instagram, Twitter. Great way for us to stay in the know and great way for us to stay connected, rather. Thank you in advance for that. Okay, another misconception that's floating out there right now is that LSU after year one has already put the growing pains behind them and that they are at a cruising altitude. Meaning last year was kind of the, the get your feet wet year, right? We, we all talked about that. We all kind of tried to temper expectations and said, hey, if you win eight games, that's phenomenal. That's progress. Brian Kelly's the right guy. I want to have this out there because LSU, I believe, when it comes to SEC Media Day, will probably be picked to win the SEC West. I'm not even here to tell you that shouldn't be the case. But if LSU doesn't win the SEC West, if they don't win double-digit ball games this coming season, the sky is not falling in Baton Rouge. Year one was not a fluke. Year one was not something to where it's like, oh, is, is that reliable? Are we sure we can still trust what we saw in year one? Was that just something that was kind of a, a flash in the pan? No, of course not. To the same token, though, I think LSU is still becoming Brian Kelly's program. Brian Kelly doesn't even have all his guys on this team just yet. Like, he hasn't even recruited multiple classes just yet that are going to make up the majority of this roster. Now, he's recruited really well so far. They've done really well through the portal. Got Jaden Daniels through, through the portal, to be clear. But still, this isn't necessarily a Brian Kelly football team from a roster standpoint or from a culture standpoint. And y'all that are Tiger fans that have tuned into this show for any length of time and heard me talk about Brian Kelly and LSU, this is how we feel. We saw a product on the field for LSU a season ago that was semi-inconsistent. They look one way against Auburn. 
look one way against Tennessee. They look one way against Alabama. Look one way against Texas A&M. Like we weren't sure which LSU team we were going to get week in and week out. And that's a part of the process of maturing as a football team and doing things Brian Kelly's way, being detail-oriented, sticking to the standard. All these things that Brian Kelly's going to hold this team to in the future, that's still permeating throughout this roster. And that's going to become a thing for LSU for years to come. So what I'm trying to say is it's headed the right direction. I've been on record here, and I say I think LSU is going to win a national title before Brian Kelly is done at LSU. But... If they don't win 10 games this year, it's not like they're in a bad position. I don't think they're just at cruising altitude quite yet. Okay, Another misconception right now. A lot of pressure on the good folks in Austin, Texas. A lot of pressure on the Longhorns. And the misconception that we need to address is that Texas needs to win a Big 12 title. Notice the verbiage there. They need to win a Big 12 title. That's kind of the phrase you're going to hear people talk about. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. In fact, I guess with it being a part of this segment, uh, I don't believe that's the case. I think Texas probably needs to make the Big 12 title game. But this is a team that won eight games a season ago. Do you want to win a Big 12 title? Of course. Do you need to or it's a failed season? No. No, you don't need to. I think you need to make a statement, and I think making the Big 12 title game would do that. But this is a team that I think is still developing and still, I say developing, I think with how they've recruited, it would be foolish to assume that not winning a Big 12 title in 2023 is a failure. If you make the Big 12 title game and you got a top three class from 2023 just hanging out on that roster, you got Arch Manning for the future, like you don't need to win a Big 12 title. Now, good people in Austin, don't be upset with me when I say that to you. I'm telling you that not to put your expectations at a lower level I'm just saying I don't think it's a failure if you don't win the Big 12 I think Steve Sarkeesian has given you positive feedback so far in terms of what he's done on the field and how they've built this thing with on the recruiting trail like it's trending the right direction double digit win season for Texas is what I would want to see and I think that would come right along with a Big 12 title appearance. So Texas would like to win a Big 12 title for sure. Do they need to, or we're just saying that the Steve Sarkeesian experiment is, is, is over? No, don't think that's the case for us when it comes to talking about the Longhorns. This is a misconception that I think has been out there for a little bit, and it's Lincoln Riley can't win the big one. And last year at USC, didn't do a lot to help this for Lincoln Riley because they lost the, uh, the Pac-12 championship and a somewhat embarrassing fashion. Okay, it wasn't somewhat. It was just an embarrassing fashion. Had a lead against Tulane in the New York Six Bowl, and they blew that lead and lost that game. And to make matters worse, it was Tulane. It was a group of five school. And so everybody is piling on Lincoln Riley now and saying he's 0-3 in the college football playoff. He can't win the big one. And I think this is a misconception for a couple of reasons. Whenever you say can't, you're speaking in absolutes. Speaking in absolutes about a head football coach that's 39 years old just feels very, very inappropriate. On top of that, when you say he can't win the big one, I would imagine you're also including conference title games somewhere in the range of what, what the big one would include. He's got four Big 12 titles to his name. So to say he can't win the big one, I guess the feedback you'd get or the kickback on that would be, well, he can't win the national title. He's 39 years old. You know how old Nick Saban was when he won his first national title? I'll pause to let you guess real quick. 53 years old. 53 years old. 
Lincoln Riley is going to be 40 in September. Early happy birthday to Lincoln Riley. I just think it's way too early to say that he can't do something. Kirby Smart didn't get his first national title until he was 45 plus. Like, if we're going to say something definitive about Lincoln Riley, I think it would be that he develops good quarterbacks, that he's recruited well, he's worked the portal. All the things that you would probably need to eventually win a national title, I feel like he's doing those right now. The big question mark is always going to be, well, what's the defense look like? We'll talk about that as we get more into the season. But as it pertains to Lincoln Riley, to say he can't win the big one, it's an absolute, I think it's irresponsible. Just look at what Nick Saban did when he was 53, Lincoln Riley's 39. Misconception. Last misconception I want to talk about here. Let's go down to the Sunshine State. There is the thought out there that Miami and Florida are both just down bad. And I wouldn't say you're incorrect in assuming that both those programs are at low points right now. But I would also say the low point to me is like the starting point. Like when you're looking up at a mountain, yes, you're at the low point of the mountain, but it's because you're still starting to climb. And that's what I think is going on right now at Florida and Florida and uh, Miami. Florida State, to be real, had a pop year this last year. Huge expectations for 2023. But Florida State also missed a bowl game last year. I say last year, two years ago. Like, a year can change a lot of how we perceive these teams. Florida is recruiting really well right now in the 2024 cycle. Miami had a top 10 class last year. They're doing the right things. And I think there has to be some growing pains that goes in with a first-year head coach. And I also said this on a previous live show. I'll say it again right now. Not all year one situations are created equally. Dan Mullen didn't really help Billy Napier a whole lot when he left the cupboard I don't know, bare, but not really stocked for him when it comes to the talent that he had on defense and the depth on defense. Mario Cristobal walked in and there was some things offensively, schematically, that he felt weren't a fit. The offensive line, personnel-wise, wasn't good enough. Like, these situations weren't just ready-made to walk in and win a conference title. So to say they're down bad and you got to just, you know, ignore them, I think that's irresponsible. I think it's a misconception to just discredit and count out Miami or Florida. So I want to make sure we're all clear on those misconceptions. But again, y'all that watch the show, y'all that are tuned in here, I have to believe that y'all are already in the know. So thank you for that. And thank you for being just diehards about this sport. We're glad to have you here. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're locked in. Make sure you're on the podcast. All that. We got to do our best to kind of get these misconceptions away from the rest of our college football friends and family. All right. So that's what I want to talk about there. Again, happy 4th of July. We're very glad to have y'all here. There's probably a lot of things you got going on today. Maybe you're listening in the morning after 4th of July. So in, in that case, happy 5th of July. Uh, maybe you're listening right around cookout time. You got fireworks later. You're maybe out on the, on the pontoon boat. You got us going as you are taking the kids on a little tube ride. Whatever it is, we're glad to have you a part of this. Uh, I had one of y'all hit me up and say that you listen to the, to the, uh, the Hard Count via podcast Tuesdays and Thursdays. When you are driving your semi-truck route, brother, we're glad to have you here. Appreciate you getting at me on Twitter in the DMs, and we're very, very grateful to have you a part of this college football community. Again, I want to make sure I say it one more time because I kind of stumbled over it in the intro, but to everyone serving our country, all the, the men and women in, in the military that are keeping freedom free, we're very, very grateful for y'all, and we appreciate y'all uh, on the 4th of July. So thank you for that. All right, let's get into it now. College football's Great Unknowns, Volume 1, 2, 3. On Twitter, I asked y'all this. 
What are the greatest unknowns when it comes to the college football season in 2023? Y'all answered in full force, as you always do. Like I said, we got the best audience in all of college football. Nay, the best community in all of college football. So without further ado, I want to jump into some of y'all's great unknowns. And this is a tremendous handle that we got. At Don't Ask Me Yo. How about that handle, Nick? Absolutely love that. Don't Ask Me Yo says, can Florida win more than six games? That's a very great unknown. Vegas has them right around five and a half wins for the over-under win total. To me, that unknown lies with the unknowns within the team, which is kind of an obvious thing to say. But to put it more simply, the unknowns are with the holes they need to patch. And the most glaring hole they need to patch is the defensive depth. Last year, we saw it. They ran out of gas in multiple games. I don't mean stamina in terms of that first line of defense, because they had good talent on the first line of defense defensively. But behind that first line, behind those starters, it was a pretty noticeable drop-off. And in the SEC, you can't have a lack of depth and expect to compete how you want to compete. So for Florida... We believe and have heard that the depth has been improved under Austin Armstrong, the new DC there. I'm curious to see how that looks because that has to be a thing for them if they are going to win six games. The other part of that is you need consistent level seven quarterback play from Graham Mertz. Say, Jetty, what does that mean? Anthony Richardson last year, multiple times, played at 10 out of 10. Either kept you in the game or won you the game. Kept you in the game against Tennessee, won you the game against Utah. There were days where you just sat back as a Florida fan and said, you know what? It's just, it's AR's day. He's him. Glad we have number 15 on the roster. There were other times where AR played right around like a four. Times where AR was kind of a liability, if we're being real. The Missouri game, threw for less than 100 yards. Like, for Anthony Richardson, the spectrum of performances for him, week in and week out, was so grand And I'm not here to say that that made Florida worse, but I do think you asked the question, what does Florida look like last year if they just get a 7 out of 10 every single week? Two touchdowns, one pick, 200 yards. What do we look like week in and week out? I think you can can very reasonably make the argument that Florida probably is a 7-8 win team a year ago, and I think they definitely are a 6-win team this coming season if they get consistent quarterback play at a level 7, again, from Graham Mertz. So I'm not asking you to be Anthony Richardson. I'm asking you to be consistent. I'm asking you to minimize the turnovers. And I'm asking you to make the open throws. Because if the offensive line is up to par, that's the other question mark, I suppose. But the backfield is stocked with some dudes now. Trevor Etienne, Montrell Johnson, I think quietly one of the best running back combos in the country. Both averaged well over five yards a carry last year. Like They got some dudes now they can hand the rock to. Two different dudes, so you got some fresh legs there. You want to rotate them in, drive in, and drive out. Like They got some pieces to be, I think, pretty sneaky offensively. But a lot of it lies with Graham Mertz keeping them honest, and it lies with the defense putting the offense in good positions. Kind of the way this whole thing works, as you all definitely already understand. But to zoom it out, the question within this question, the, the great unknown of if Florida wins six games, what would that mean? It means you can sell trajectory to recruits. And we've said that a couple times on this show for y'all that have tuned in for any length of time. We've talked about Florida selling trajectory to recruits. If Florida goes out and wins five games, they miss a bowl game, you got to go to recruits and say, hey, come be a part of the turnaround. Come be a part of the vision. Hey, we're, we're trying to get this thing headed the right direction. We need guys like you to be a part of it. But if you win six games, dare I say, 
you make a one-game improvement, which is probably what you would like to have happen if you're a Florida Gator fan, at, at the least. Seven games, one-win improvement. Then you go and tell kids, hey, you see where this thing is going, all right? We're starting to climb. Seven wins in the SEC, that is no slouch of an accomplishment. Come be a part of what we're doing here. Come help us get this thing even further the right direction. We're not taking steps backwards. We're taking steps forwards, and we need you to really help us just blow this whole thing up. Florida, again, I'll say it, they've recruited really well so far. A long way to go till signing day, but the Gators are in very good position. Solid performance on the, on the field. Seven wins, which would be over six wins. A great unknown, but I think that's what it would require to, to bolster that even more. All right? Make sure you're subscribed. Thank you for being tuned in. All y'all that are tuned in currently on the YouTube channel, if you could like the video, that little thumbs up icon under the picture, and get us over 100 likes before we get off air, that would be greatly appreciated. So thank you in advance for that. Trey M. reached out, and his great unknown is, can Notre Dame return to the playoffs with the schedule that they have? And it's a very good question. Notre Dame, obviously independent, not in a conference, but even still, they play Ohio State, they play USC, and they play at Clemson. So three teams that you could very reasonably make an argument for are playoff teams in themselves. So how that would happen, I think Sam Hartman would be as advertised. I don't have a ton of concerns about him being as advertised. I think he's going to be a stud for you. The defense plays to the level they played at a season ago. Jordan Botello, I keep saying it. I'm, I'm, I'm first team, all Jordan Botello stand right here. We love Jordan Botello on this program, and we think he's going to pop this year. Never liked to lose Isaiah Foskey, but Jordan Mattel is going to be a guy. So the defense holds up there into the bargain. How this would happen is a playmaker on the outside steps up. Who that is, I don't know. Jaden Greathouse looked, looked great in the spring game. Um, Chris Tyree is a guy they've been buzzing about. Like, there's, there's some pieces here at Notre Dame to be excited about, but we want to see them prove it on the field. And there's a long list of receivers we could talk through. But what would it mean if they were to be able to make the college football playoff? Well, with that schedule, the assumption would be they have to win at least two of those three. More than likely, probably have to beat all three of those teams and be probably undefeated because you don't have that last data point from conference championship weekend. But if all that happens, think about what it would say about Notre Dame. All three of those teams, I think you probably have to beat them in different ways. USC, it could be a shootout. Clemson, they're going to be tough defensively. Ohio State's kind of a, a mix of both, honestly, with how good they are on the defensive line, having Mar Marvin Harrison Jr. recover. Like, if Notre Dame is able to make the college football playoff, playing all three of those teams, they are a very legitimate title contender. Because that means that Marcus Freeman has cultivated now a battle-tested group should they get through that gauntlet and make the playoff, and they're a team that has seen elite competition consistently throughout the year. Now, the SEC gets a lot of credit, and it should, but you play those three teams, I mean, that is a serious, serious pecking order for them to go through. So I'm excited to see what Notre Dame does in that. But like I said, Notre Dame, if they get through that, well-rounded team, very versatile, and we'd have to really talk about Notre Dame being a not just college football playoff contender if they were to get through that, but being a national title contender. So keep an eye on the Irish here. Balix 2035, his great unknown is Alabama's running back room potentially overperforming. 
And if this happens, if Jason McClellan and Justice Haynes, the freshman who looked real good in that spring game, if they overperform along with the rest of that group, Alabama is going to be a college football playoff team. Why? Because college football is cyclical. Like previously, before we got into the spread you out, go no huddle, go tempo, it was play in the trenches, run the football, play good defense. Like a version of that is kind of what won you national titles. Ask Nick Saban with Trent Richardson and what that group did. And then it became, like I was talking about, a little more spread out, a little more up-tempo, a little bit more. You got to score 40. You got to score 50. But now it's starting to come back around. The cycle is starting to come back around to how I think Nick Saban wants it, which is that we're going to control the line of scrimmage. We're going to move you against your will. Ain't none you can do about it. That's what Bama's going back to. I think that's one of the reasons why I believe Nick Saban hired Tommy Reese because they ran the ball really well at Notre Dame. And so they're going to ask a lot of this group. This running back room along with the offensive line, that's going to be the engine for the offense. Everybody's talking about the quarterback room, who's going to start, who's not going to start. Like, I'm here for that as well. I'm all about that conversation. I think it's important. I don't think it's nearly as important as some people want to make it out to be. Because the quarterback's going to be responsible for converting third and three, third and two, hitting the open shot when the safeties creep up. Like, that's going to be what the quarterback has to do and not give the ball to the other team. If this running back room overperforms, they're going to be a college football playoff team. I'm telling you right now. Now, if they want to win a national title, got to have something to go with the running back room. Then you look back at the quarterback and say, okay, we need you to get us over the hump. Or we need the defense to play at an elite level. But if they overperform in the running back room, Alabama will be a college football playoff team. Mark my words. Last one we got from y'all is, can Colorado football make a bowl game this year? And this is a great question. This is a great unknown. This, this is potentially the greatest unknown of the entire 2023 season. Reason for that being, we have never seen anything like what Deion Sanders is doing in Boulder, Colorado with the nature of just flipping the entire roster from what it was a year ago. The players that were a part of the 1-11 season at Colorado last year, they're not really there anymore with the exception of like a handful of players. Coach Prime has brought in a whole new roster. And the best way I can describe this is whenever like an old restaurant closes up shop and it shuts down and it's done and then a new restaurant comes in and opens its doors in that same building, you kind of have like an idea of what to expect. You kind of have like memories from the last restaurant that used to be in that same building, but it's a new menu. It looks different. It smells different. It feels different when you walk in there. So you have this former thought about what that place was but in reality when you walk into that new restaurant you have no idea what to expect short of reading the menu short of looking at that roster you have no idea what to expect at Colorado this 2023 season and I don't either Vegas thinks they'll be somewhere around four-ish wins nobody knows because we've never seen anything like this in college football it is a complete unknown that's why it's a great question but if Colorado is to make a bowl game in 2023, it means that Deion Sanders and his system worked. It means that you can flip your entire roster in the span of an offseason and be able to be successful. Why? Because Coach Prime just did it and made a bowl game in year one. Mark my words, if they make a bowl game in year one, that is an unbelievable success for Coach Prime. 
If that's year one, that is absolutely phenomenal. Because that would mean that he was able to develop this roster, make them mesh, allow the staff and the roster to get on the same page, and it means that Travis Hunter and Shadour Sanders, who both came from the FCS level, were always as advertised when they got to the Power Five. That's what it would mean. Lastly, it would mean that what Deion Sanders did at Colorado is the blueprint now for every single first-year head coach across the country. Hey, well, we won two games the year before. Doesn't matter. You see what Coach Prime did at Colorado? Better hit the portal. Better get to work. No longer is it grind it out and eventually build to it and eventually recruit three or four recruiting classes and get to where you want to go. It's like, if Coach Prime can make a bowl game in year one, getting 50-plus new transfers, that's the formula we want. That's the expectation we're allowed to have. So a lot of unknowns out there for the college football season in 2023. A lot of great unknowns from y'all. Keep them coming. We'll keep this thing rolling, but we appreciate y'all making this happen. And a lot of great thoughts there. And uh, man, I can't wait. It's going to be an absolutely epic, epic season. Going to be an epic season, man. And our founder and CEO of On3, Shannon Terry, tweeted that out. And it, it just got me, got me fired up, man. Because there's so much talking going on right now, but we are so close to exactly what Shannon Terry was talking about. An epic season. It's around the corner, man. College football, it's so phenomenal because it never disappoints. No matter what they tell you about that coming Saturday and what matchups there aren't or what big brands aren't playing, there's always something where you walk away from that Saturday like, man, this was a great college football Saturday. And we're very close to that happening. Again, 4th of July. That's like the unofficial... All right, now we're downhill. Now now we're about to be here. SEC Media Day in a couple of weeks. Like, gosh. Gets me fired up just talking about it. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you like the video. Make sure you're on podcast. Listen to us. Thank you to everybody that's tuned in right now on the 4th of July. We love y'all, man. Bunch of program people. In the spirit of 4th of July, let's jump into some of the players in college football that are going to create fireworks this coming season. Firework players if you will, meaning they're explosive, whether it's with the ball in their hands, whether it's on the defensive side of the ball, you got to watch them. Little teaser for you there. Let's just jump right into it. The first firework player for us here is Squirrel White from Tennessee, the wide receiver. He's going to kind of be in what Jalen Hyatt's role was a season ago because Tennessee's offense, if you're playing wide receiver, it's built on see ya. And what do I mean by that? What does see ya mean? It means when we line up one-on-one, we're going to line you up out wide. So that safety probably can't get there. It's probably just you and that DB. Probably you in a corner, depending on how they want to line it up. It's built on see ya, meaning we'll see you later. We'll get past you. Ball will be up in the air. We're scoring touchdowns. Squirrel White was tracked at practice going 23 miles an hour. Ladies and gentlemen, that is speeding in a lot of school zones. They'd be pulling Squirrel White over and saying, do you know how fast you were going? He said, yes, sir, I did. I was going 23 miles an hour to the end zone. Keep an eye on Squirrel White. I think he's a firework player this coming season, and I think he's going to pick up a lot of the production that Jalen Hyatt left off. So Squirrel White, definitely a firework player. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're locked in. Thank you in advance for that. We love y'all. College football season is almost here. All right. Quarterback Caleb Williams. Firework player now. Got a Heisman Trophy chilling out in his Los Angeles apartment. And he just has the wow factor. Like, y'all are going to watch some fireworks tonight. I'm sure you'll be out on a lawn. You'll be with the kids. 
maybe it's after you just ate 17 hot dogs and you're going to look up at those fireworks and there's going to be a couple that make you kind of just go wow wow that is impressive maybe it's the grand finale maybe it's some combination of red and blue that's put together but Caleb Williams in my mind has that same wow factor playing quarterback for Southern Cal and how many times did we watch a USC game last year and Caleb Williams drops back, evades pressure, and it looks like he's about to be sacked or it looks like this play is going to be dead, he's got to throw it away or something like that, and then he would just Houdini-like scramble out of it, slither out of it, and either run for a first down or throw for a touchdown or whatever it was. Like, he's got the wow factor. In my opinion, he is always the most dynamic player on the football field, and he's your quarterback. Do we understand how ridiculous that is? How rare that is? I think we need to. Caleb Williams, without question, a firework player. Barry and Brown, wide receiver at Kentucky. He's the kind of player that just makes you hold your breath every time he touches the rock. I mean, they were there was last game against, uh, excuse me, last year against Ole Miss. He had several kickoff returns where as soon as he caught the ball, whether it was on the two-yard line or whether he was a little bit further up, doesn't matter. Anytime he touched the rock, you were like, okay, this could go now here. He's got real deal speed, was a freshman All-American for us here at On3, 100 and 200-meter champion in the state of Tennessee at, when he was in high school, like firework player every time he touches the ball. Expect him to have potentially better production this coming season with Devin Leary playing quarterback now. I think he could be a more reliable quarterback for Kentucky no knock on Will Levis I just think Devin Leary could maybe get the ball to Barry and Brown a little more consistently and if they do if they get it to him early and often good things are going to happen for Kentucky let's just say that now a firework player we alluded to a little bit top of this segment was on the defensive side of the ball and that is we'll call him a linebacker because that's what he's lifted at but he'll probably play all over the field for for LSU Harold Perkins is a firework player. He is must-see TV every single time he laces them up. That Arkansas game is probably what sticks out in our minds most clearly. Three sacks, two forced fumbles. He just took over that game. LSU scratching and clawing to get out of a game in Fayetteville with a win, and Harold Perkins, the freshman, is spying Malik Hornsby all day long and won them that football game, if we're being real. He was only a freshman. He was only, Harold Perkins was a freshman last year. Do we understand how ridiculous that is? Switching out the number was 40, is going to be four this coming season. Number four is must-see TV on the defensive side of the ball. Cannot stress that enough. Watch for him to be someone that you have to, to game plan every single week for in the SEC. Every single week, you better know where number four is lined up at. He's going to be a problem for you. He'll wreck the game if you don't have a plan in place. Last firework player we got to talk about here is Nick Singleton, running back from Penn State. Dude is just a home run hitter. 8.7, excuse me, 87-yard touchdown run in the Rose Bowl a year ago. 6.8 yards of carry. Dude is just a home run hitter. Expect him to be the lightning to the thunder of Katron Allen in that running back room. Penn State's going to have a chance now, I think, to even be more dynamic offensively, as you probably feel as well with Drew Aller now being the quarterback for them. Dude can sling it now. When you have a quarterback that can sling it around the yard where a safety has to kind of double-check that it's not play action, you can't just stack the box against Penn State, Nick Singleton is going to benefit from that. And if you give him an inch, he's going to take a mile. 
Nick Singleton, firework player. Expect him to build on that 6.8 yard average he had a year ago. Dude's going to be a freak for them again in 2023. So the firework players for us here, Squirrel White, wide receiver at Tennessee, not just fast, stupid fast. Caleb Williams, the most dynamic player on the field every single time he is playing. Quarterback. He's a quarterback. Just ridiculous. USC is sitting pretty. Barry and Brown, wide receiver for Kentucky. Really fast. You hold your breath every time he touches the rock. Harold Perkins, you better be watching him whenever LSU's playing a game. Must-see TV. Exciting every single time he's he's uh, out there for LSU. Harold Perkins is a dog. Firework player. Nick Singleton from the Big Ten with Penn State. Home run hitter every time he gets the ball. So there's the firework players. Keep uh, keep an eye on them this coming season, but make sure you enjoy the fireworks done as well on 4th of July. All righty, all righty, all righty. Schedule prediction season. Shows no mercy. Just a faceless opponent every single time it laces it up. And we got Miami stepping into the batter's box today. Miami Hurricanes, what is their record going to be in 2023 what are, we, what are we predicting their record to be because Mario Cristobal I don't know there's a lot of people that are indifferent about him I think everybody has some sort of opinion about what he's going to do at Miami wasn't great last year but the good news for Miami fans is Mario Cristobal does not endorse what happened last year it was a you know year one let's let's get this thing rolling but there was also high expectations with Tyler Van Dyke being your quarterback last year and it just did not pan out offensively so where do we start with Miami Personally, I feel like you have a way better setup than you did a season ago. Year one was a lot of growing pains, and you kind of got to get the bad out to eventually build for the good. Like when I look at Miami, this roster is just so much better, especially on the offensive line. Francis Mauagoa, probably going to start for them at tackle. Javion Cohen, Matt Lee, two ads through the transfer portal that are probably going to be NFL guys. You got better on the offensive line. You did not protect Tyler Van Dyke well. That's why he was dinged up. Could not run the football. So Tyler Van Dyke's kind of your only asset offensively. It, it was just a non-starter last year for Miami, which is unfortunate because I don't think it needed to be last year. But personnel-wise, you're way better. You feel way better about what's going to happen this coming season. And then also your culture. I mean, culture is kind of a cliche thing to talk about, but it's cliche for a reason because it's real. And Mario Cristobal is bringing good culture to Miami. The way that I look at it, last year for Miami, they were just not strong in the muscles as a team they needed to be strong in. And when I say that, I mean roster and I mean discipline. And you look at last year, and it's unfortunate how it all shook out for Miami. But the good news is you get to the reset button offensively and get a new scheme in there. But with those muscles that you're building, you had to get sore before you can start to grow. Like, y'all understand this too. Every single January, every single February, it's the New Year's resolution. Let's get in the gym. Let's get after it. After those first couple workout sessions, it's you're sore now. You broke down some muscle. You don't feel 100%. It's like, man, is this a good idea? Is this healthy for me? Am I supposed to feel this way? And the people that you talk to that have been going to the gym for a while, they tell you what? Hey, keep going. Keep pushing through it. You're sore right now, but eventually that muscle is going to start to grow. Those muscles are going to start to grow at Miami, in my opinion. The culture wasn't great. Evidently, look at what they did on the, on the field last year. The culture, I don't believe, was good enough a season ago. The roster wasn't good enough a season ago. So what do you do? You hit the portal. You develop a new offense. You bring in a new OC. And you keep hammering away at your culture to get that soreness to turn to muscle. 
So I'm excited for Miami. But let's take a look at the schedule for them this coming season. The big game you circle is Texas A&M at home early. To me, this is the progress game. This is a great litmus test. I think Miami really could have won this game a year ago at College Station. They didn't, so woulda, shoulda, coulda. But outside of A&M, outside of tracking that progress right there, it'll be a good litmus test early in the year. You have road tests at North Carolina, at NC State, and at Florida State. NC State and Florida State are back-to-back, so that'll be be tricky. But you got home tough games against Clemson and against Louisville. Louisville's sneaky. For Miami, I really believe that six wins is the floor. I think at the very least you improve and you make a bowl game. I don't think you have the personnel last year that you do this year. And I think that translates to at least a one-win improvement. Now, here's the good news. When I look at Miami, I don't think they're at a place where they're just relying solely on the roster. You can have talent. Talent's great. I already told you, I think talent improves them from what they were a year ago. But talent isn't what wins you ball games. It's talent married with the way you do things. And when I say you, the way you do things, that means scheme, that means discipline, that means that means culture. There's that culture word again. Those are all things that propel your talent and capitalize on your talent and get the most out of that talent, get the most out of that roster. And so for Miami, the prediction for me for them in 2023 is a record of eight and four. So it's right in line with what Vegas thinks. Again, there's some tricky games on that schedule, but I think eight and four is realistic. And I also think that Tyler Van Dyke goes back to what we saw him being in 2021. That's what this whole thing is built on. Is Tyler Van Dyke the version that we expect him to be? Because Gary Furman came on this very show from Canesport and told us, yeah, Bama wanted Tyler Van Dyke. Or at least Tyler Van Dyke and Bama. There was some flirtation there. So that's what Gary Furman says, and I believe him. Tyler Van Dyke and the defense doing their job and stepping up on the outside, excuse me, if they have someone step up on the outside at the wide receiver position, along with the defense, along with Tyler Van Dyke, if those three things can kind of merge together and they can really be effective, those things are going to compound on each other and complement each other, and Miami's going to do better than eight and four. So those are the big question marks. Does the wide receiver room step up? Does Tyler Van Dyke continue what he did in 21? and kind of get past the 2022 hiccup with this new offense under Shannon Dawson? And does the defense hold up there into the deal? If they do, watch out for Miami and the ACC. But again, our prediction for them in 2023, 8-4 for the Canes. Not a bad year, too, for company under Mario Cristobal. Man, the Hurricanes now. I'm telling you, the ACC is going to be brutal. There's a lot of talk about the SEC, and there should be. The Pac-12 gets some love as well, as they should. Big Ten, brutal. The ACC now, Clemson, Florida State, NC State, Miami. Who knows what North Carolina is going to be with Drake May, him probably being the number two overall pick this coming season in the NFL draft. There's a lot There's a lot of, of firepower in the ACC, so I can't wait to watch it. Speaking of firepower, go enjoy some fireworks tonight, man. We appreciate y'all being tuned in, tuned in with us uh, on a holiday. You got a lot going on. You got job, you got school, you got work, you got... Kids, I guess job and work kind of go together. Uh, but we appreciate y'all is the bottom line, the sentiment I'm trying to get across to you guys. Thank you for being tuned in. Like the video on your way out. Leave a review and a five-star uh, rating for us on podcast if you don't mind. That would tr- help us tremendously and just keep this whole thing moving forward. Very, very close to college football season. No more time to be wasted. We love y'all. 
We appreciate y'all. Happy 4th of July. We're going to keep this party rolling. We will see y'all next time. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.